Good morning, Gathering Place Church, those who are visiting and those who are visiting for the first time. My name is John. I'm the lead pastor here at the Gathering Place Church, and it's a privilege to preach to you today. Thank you for being here. You know, the chaos in our nation is not escaping any of us. It's creating tremendous fear and panic and and um, depression and uh, anxiety. It's not just the COVID-19 and it's not just the, the the natural disasters, the floods, the fires, and the earthquakes, but it's the political and the racial and the economic um, chaos that is threatening to destroy our nation. And there is a group of people who are after the very foundations of our nation, the men who founded it, their character, who they were, and the principles they founded it on. And there's another group of people that's trying to save the foundation of our nation. The foundation of our nation really is the core battle, the philosophy of of governance. And the reality is, whatever you move the foundation out from under, it's going to collapse. A home, a building, whatever it might be, a family, you remove the foundation, that is going to collapse. But today, I don't want to talk to you about the foundation that our nation is built on. I want to talk to you about the foundation that your life is built on. Because that principle remains the same. If your life is not built on the right foundation, or if you allow that foundation to be removed, your life will collapse. Just like these pictures. You see this picture of these beautiful homes. And my dad was an architect and a builder. I'm fascinated by beautiful homes. But... You can see these homes have collapsed. Why? Because they were built on the sand. Many people are building their lives that look so beautiful on the outside, but they're built on sand and they're going to collapse. Many already have. But then you see contrast with this picture of this lighthouse built on a massive rock. And I mean, storms and waves can beat into this rock, but this lighthouse, which is what Jesus has called you and I to be, a light on a hill. A lighthouse, a beacon in a dark world for people to be able to find refuge, find hope, find Jesus through your and my life. That's why the question is, is your life built on a foundation that can withstand the storms of life? I want to help you with that today. And so I want to talk to you about three ways you can build your life on the rock. So let's read in the book of Matthew and chapter 16. It says this, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples saying, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Now, that's the key question right there. You see, Peter's had his turn. He ran his race. He's dead and gone. He's in heaven. Now it's your turn. Jesus is asking you, who do you say that I am? Because your answer to that question literally will dictate your destiny. Let's read what Peter said. And so Peter answered him, you were the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered answered him and said, blessed, happy, fortunate. That's what that word means. Happy are you, Simon Barjona, that means son of John, for flesh and blood or people have not revealed this to you or people did not talk you into this. 
But my Father in heaven is the one who revealed this to you. And I say to you that you are Peter. That means a small stone. Follow me on this because there's a really important thing we're going to unwrap here in just a minute. Your name is Peter. It means a small stone. And on this rock, which means bedrock or foundation, I will build my church. And the gates of hell, the gates of Hades, the gates of death shall not prevail or be victorious against it. And I will give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind, which means disallow or do not permit on earth, will have been bound or disallowed or not permitted in heaven. And whatever you loose or allow or permit in the earth will have been loosed or allowed or permitted in heaven. What he's saying to Peter is, now that you have a revelation of who I am, you and those who have a revelation of who I am will be my church. And they will be the key between heaven and earth. What the Father wants or doesn't want in the earth that's already been established in heaven, you can release into the earth. And what the Father does not want on the earth, which is Satan's agenda, you can bind or disallow on the earth. The church has that authority. And you and I are the church in Christ. So there are three ways you can build your life on the rock. Here we go. Number one, build your life on him. You see, the truth is Jesus is the rock, not Dwayne Johnson and not Peter. Now, this has been uh, a point of confusion for some for a very long time, not the Dwayne Johnson, but the Peter part. People have thought that Jesus was telling Peter that he was going to build his, his church on him. But you see, there are two completely separate words here, which I just described a second ago. Peter is a small rock. Jesus is the rock of Gibraltar. Jesus is the foundation. I mean, why would Jesus, the Son of God, God himself in human form, come down to the earth, be a perfect human being, and then build his church on a fallible human being? I mean, you know Peter's fallible, right? Just follow his life. And I don't say that to disparage Peter. I just want us to get our eyes on Jesus. I mean, even after Peter just had this revelation, you're the son of God. It was moments later that he rebuked Jesus and said, oh, you will not go to the cross. I mean, Peter is just as fallible as you and I. But what happened here? When he got a revelation of who Jesus was, which happened right then. I mean, he's been walking with Jesus for a long time. But it was in that moment that the father revealed who Jesus was to him. Jesus said, aha, you just got solid. And he changed his name from Simon, which means hearing. It means that Simon hears. In other words, he listens, he hears, he hears philosophies and teachings, and he's a learner. But it also means read, which means to be able to be easily blown in the wind. He was unstable. Oh, this teaching. Oh, that philosophy. And he's unstable, and he's, he's, he's just not predictable. But when he got a piece of the rock, he became solid. That's what happens to you and I. When we get a revelation of who Jesus is, it makes us solid and stable. I mean, when you get a revelation of Jesus, nobody can beat it out of you. I mean, that's why he said, nobody convinced you of this, Peter. My Father in heaven just revealed it to you. I'm going to give you a little illustration here. You know what this is here? This is a piece of the Great Wall of China. Yep. Now, 
My wife says, because she's the one that brought it home from China, when she went there with her cohort when she was in her master's program, and she went to China to analyze the health system there. She's an epidemiologist. She said this was laying on the ground by the Great Wall of China, so we'll just believe her on that. But this is not the Great Wall of China. This is the Great Wall of China. This is a piece of the Great Wall of China. That's what Jesus was saying to Peter. You just got a piece of me. That's what he's saying. Peter himself said this very same thing. Look what Peter says. This is in 1 Peter chapter 2. As you come to him, this is Peter writing about Jesus. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also like living stones. You see, Peter knew what happened to him, and now he's calling the other believers living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I have laid in Zion, which is the church, a chosen and precious cornerstone. That's Jesus. He's the cornerstone of the house of God, the church, us, his people. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. This uh, new century version puts it this way. Everything will be built on this important and precious rock. You see, Jesus met Peter. His name was Simon when Jesus first met, first met him. And Jesus saw him and said, your name is Simon. You're like a weed. Uh, a reed blown in the wind, but you're going to be named Peter. He knew Peter was one day going to have a revelation of who he was, and it was going to make him solid. Jesus not only knows who you are, he knows who he's destined you to be. Your identity can only be found in him. Forget about Ancestry.com. Use Jesus.com. I mean, Jesus is the one who created you. And he's calling you. When you realize that he's your creator, you won't be looking to human beings anymore for your affirmation, your identity, your security, your self-worth, your purpose, your destiny. It's all found in Jesus. That's what he did with Peter. That's what he will do with you. Even Paul himself said that Jesus is the rock. Look at this. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 1 through 4. I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. It's talking 4,000 years ago at this point. I mean, today, going back to this time. All of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them, and all of them walked through the sea on dry ground. In the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. All of them ate the same spiritual food, and all of them drank the same spiritual water. Okay, ready for this? For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, or traveled with them, and that rock was Christ. What? How's that even possible? That was 4,000 years ago. When when Paul wrote this, it was 2,000 years uh, before Paul wrote this. How could Jesus have been with them in the desert 2,000 years before, quote, he was born? Because Jesus is eternal. You see, that's why you have to experience 
Jesus through revelation to know him. Without experiencing Jesus, I mean, if you just grow up in church and you hear about Jesus, you can quote all the scriptures, you can sing all the songs, you know all the, the hand gestures, you know, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, you know all that, but you you don't know him. It's like going into a restaurant and the waiter or waitress comes and gives you a menu and you're looking at that menu and you're like, oh, oh, this all looks so good. I see the French fries, I see the burger, oh, the shake. Oh, man, you can literally memorize the entire menu. And the waiter or waitress comes by and says, okay, what would you like to eat? Oh, no, no, I, I don't need to eat. I've got the menu. Uh, okay, but I can go get you the burger and you can actually taste it. Oh, no, that's not necessary. I've got the menu. I've got it memorized. I know all the food in this restaurant. The waiter or waitress would say, you don't know the food until you taste it. See, this is why you can go to university and go through a world religion class. You can read the Bible yourself. You can even be in church. But the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. You have to experience him. You say, well, how do I experience him? By revelation. It's only by the Holy Spirit who opens your spiritual eyes, your spiritual heart, your spiritual awareness. That's how you know Jesus. The word reveal literally means this. Making known something previously concealed or kept secret. To bring light to, uncover, expose, to view, lay bare, unearth, unveil, unmask, detect, demonstrate, manifest, make clear, or uncloak. Like, for example, do you know what this is? What's under here? I mean, you could take your best guess what's under here. What do you think's under here? Well, until you remove the veil, you didn't know. That it was my drinking cup. Mm-hmm. Yep. You see? And you can look at that and you can tell me, oh, okay, well, it's green and it's so tall. And yeah, and that's about all you would know. But what I know is this thing's awesome, man. I live with this thing. This thing goes in my car. It fits perfectly. Some of them don't fit in your cup holder. This one fits perfectly in the cup holder. It's got this little lid up here. You didn't know that, right? You didn't know this thing pops off just like that. And you know what? I had this in the winter. I put my hot coffee in it. It's it's a thermos. Man, that hot coffee stays hot all day long. Or in the summertime, I put ice in there. I can close that up and literally I can do it in the morning. And in the evening, I can drink out of it. It's still ice water. This thing is awesome. I know this. I've experienced this. You have not. Right? It's the same with Christ. You have got to experience him. Look at the Bible says regarding this. This is in Second Corinthians chapter three. But who whenever someone turns to the Lord, not to church, not to the Bible, not to Bible studies, not to a professor, not to a philosopher, the Lord. Right? The series we're in is called Jesus. Whenever someone turns to the Lord, look what he says. The veil is taken away. You see that? For the Lord is the spirit. And wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord who is the spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his Glorious image. 
the more you see him, it's not a one-time experience. The first time the Lord opens your heart and your eyes and you know who Jesus is, you're the Christ, the son of the living God, you get saved. But it doesn't end there. That would be like getting married. You're at the altar and you kiss your bride for the first time. Well, maybe. No. Okay. Erase that. You kiss your bride. <laughs> Some people it was the first time. And then you hold her hand and then you walk down the aisle and out the church. And what if that was the last time you kissed her? The last time you held her hand? The last time you spent any time with her or with him? You can say, yeah, but I have her picture. And I have her vows that she said on that day, and I've even memorized them. Oh, I know her, or I know him. Well, no, you really don't, because you haven't spent any time with him or with her. It's the same with Christ. It's not a one-time revelation. It's a continuous revelation of who he is forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and forever and ever. He's God. He has so much to reveal to you about who he is. And the more you see him and experience him, the more solid you get. You, you, you become a piece of him. He becomes a part of you. you. His wisdom, his love, his power, his presence, his joy. I mean, it becomes yours more and more and more and more. That's what revelation does. It's not a one-time deal. It takes a while to get to know a human being, let alone the son of God. Do you know, I've been married 25 years and I just found out just this week that, in fact, I have to look at my notes again. <laughs> my, my wife's favorite Sour Patch, which is her favorite candy, is blue. <laughs> Sorry, honey. And that her favorite gummy bear is green. It took me 25 years. You know, sociologists say it takes four years just to get to begin to know somebody. You've got to see them, how they react in hard times and how they react in good times. It's going to take us forever to truly know Jesus. That is why the Apostle Paul wrote to the Ephesians church, who was a powerful church. They knew Jesus. But this is what Paul wrote to them. And then we'll move on to the second point. In the book of Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says this, For this reason... Because I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Now watch this. This is to a powerful, Jesus-knowing, rock-in-the-city church. Paul says, I always pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may grant you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation that gives you a deep and personal and intimate insight into the true knowledge of him. For we know the Father through the Son. And I pray that the eyes of your heart, the very center and core of your being, being enlightened, flooded with light by the Holy Spirit, so that you will know and cherish the hope, the divine guarantee, the confident expectation to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, God's people, and so that you will begin to know. Isn't that amazing? That you will begin to know. Knowing Jesus now is just the beginning that you will begin to know what the immeasurable, it's not even measurable, and unlimited and surpassing greatness of his active spiritual power is in us who believe. See, not growing in Christ 
on a daily basis through a revelation of who he is would be like you stopping growing right now as a human being. Like physically, you just stop growing right where you are. That's your size. Stop learning anything. All the information you have right now, just stop. All your relationships, they stop right where they are. Well, that that's silly. That's not how life works. That's not how the spiritual life is supposed to work either. You're supposed to grow and grow and grow knowing him until the day you see him face to face. That's how, that's the first step of founding your life on the rock. It's on Jesus. Secondly, is building your life on his word. Look what Jesus says about this. Matthew chapter 7. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. There it is. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house. And yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But watch this. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Jesus is the rock and so are his teachings. No matter what area of life that you're dealing with, that you have to make decisions in, whether it's your marriage, your money, your ministry, your career, your relationships, whatever it is, the first question you need to ask is, what does the word of God say? You see, the Bible literally says this. There is a way, there is a way that people think is right, but it only leads to death. There's a way you actually think is right. But Jesus says any source of wisdom or information that you're building your life on that is contrary to the Bible equals disaster. That's what he said. You're building it on sand, not on the rock. I mean, for instance, just living together before you're married. Now, most people now think that's just fine. In fact, it's actually a good idea because you can see if you're, you know, compatible. But that's not what God teaches. And do you know this, that research has shown that those who live together, like some of you might be right now, the divorce rate is much higher among those who live together before they get married than those who wait. Now, you can fix that. You can repent. You can ask God to forgive you for putting the cart before the horse and not doing it his way, doing it your way. He is so merciful and so gracious, so forgiving. He will restore. And I've counseled so many marriages and they they have trouble with the communication. They'd say, before we got married, we were just fine. Our sex was fine. The communication was fine. Our core values seemed to be the same. But after we got married, it's all changed. And so often it comes back to that root that you dishonored the Lord in the way you did it. But you can fix it right now. Because he is so gracious, you just say, God, forgive us. And he will get involved with fixing your situation. I've seen it happen. I've been a pastor now for 35 years. I've seen a lot of relationships. The same thing happens with money. I mean, the Bible has something to say about everything. With your money, God says, give 10% to the kingdom of God, save, and then enjoy some of it. But what have we done, especially in America? We don't just spend what we have. We spend more than we have. And we go into deep debt. and We don't put anything into savings. We get nothing to the church. And we're just a financial collapse in people's lives and in debt. And so that's why we have stewardship, you know, uh, uh, ministries to help you get your life built on the rock again in the area of your money or parenting. My wife and I had a conversation with some uh, young people recently, and they were telling us their philosophy on what they're going to be like when they're parents. <laughs> we're just laughing. 
It's like, well, the Bible actually says this and, you know, tell us how that works out for, you know, I mean, the Bible has wisdom on every area of life. Why? Because Jesus wants you to build your life on the rock. The promise is when hard times hit, you will still be standing. So your assignment on the second point is analyze your life. Look at what areas of your life are not built on the philosophies and the teachings, not the philosophies, the teachings of Jesus and make any of the adjustments you need to make. And I'm telling you, your life will begin to stabilize. And finally, the third way to build your life on the rock is to build your life on his plan, not yours. First, build it on Jesus. Secondly, build it on the words of Jesus. And thirdly, build it on the plan of Jesus. Do you know that when Jesus called his first disciples, he didn't sit down with them and say, okay, now, uh, tell me what your five-year plan is so I can get behind that. <laughs> That's not the, that wasn't the planning meeting he had with his first disciples, nor is it the one he wants to have with you and I. No. Jesus says, hi, I'm the king, and I have a plan, and I'm going to invite you to be a part of it. I'm allowing you to be part of my plan. That's what's going on. And you see, as a believer, see, we've been raised in a consumer culture. And so we bring that right into the church, right into the kingdom of God. And we're like, gimme, gimme, my name's Jimmy. You know, God, what have you done for me lately? We jump from church to church and from ministry to ministry and from preacher to preacher. And, you know, it's like we're going from restaurant to restaurant and from shopping mall to shopping mall and relationship to relationship. We're just consumers. That's just the way we've been raised. But the kingdom of God is not about being a consumer. It's about being a contributor to Jesus' plan. What is his plan? The salvation of the world, the saving of souls, the building of the church. That's the only threat to the powers of darkness. I mean, the reality is it's Satan is on one team. He's got all his demons. And then the church is the other team. And souls are what's at stake. That's why the Bible says he who wins souls is wise. Jesus is about using the church, you and me. I'm not talking about a building. Church isn't when you, you know, go to church on a Sunday morning or watch this online or that's not that that's you see the church. You can see the church, but the comments being made right now, those are God's people. That's the church. People are the church. The Bible says that you and I are citizens of heaven living in the earth, and that we, the church, literally means called out ones. That is, the citizens of heaven and the earth are calling heaven on earth, the salt and light of the world. In fact, the Bible says when the church is gone, that darkness will literally take over the whole earth. Right now, there's a war going on, and it's the church that is stopping hell from taking over the whole earth. The church is called Jesus' bride. That's why when you talk bad about the church, you're talking bad about Jesus' bride. I would not do that. That's not a good idea. Jesus came for the church. He came. He started the church. He's building the church. He loves the church. He died for the church. He's coming back for the church. And when we go to heaven, there's going to be a wedding ceremony in heaven. The son and the bride, the church, and the father is going to conduct it. And there's going to be a marriage supper of the lamb. It's just awesome. Don't you want to be part of that? Well, right now, look, no Christian should be wondering, who am I? Where did I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going? You shouldn't be struggling with self-worth or um, uh, 
identity issues, all of that is found and settled in Christ. Your name is Simon, but it's going to be named Peter. Jesus knows you. He names you. He's called you to himself, the king, and to his kingdom. He's gifted you to help the church be powerful. The church is the most powerful entity for good on the planet. And you're a part of it. You're a necessary part of it. The Bible says that Jesus has given every one of us a gift to help the church. You see, when you realize this, you can just relax. Because it's not about you. That's one of the most freeing realities you'll ever have. It's not about you. It's about him. He's about you. He just doesn't want you to be about you. He says, you be about me and my kingdom. I'll add all this stuff to you that all the peoples in the world are clamoring for. My wife and I have seen it over 25 years of marriage. And before that, I mean, uh, in fact, uh, today's my spiritual birthday, right? And uh, married, uh, been uh, saved 38 years. Jesus just adds things to me, key people, resources. I mean, purpose. I have more purpose than I know what to do with. I was empty when I asked Jesus to come to my life. I just had this big hole in my soul. Now I have more purpose pulsating inside of me that I could I could possibly live out. But see, it's Jesus's purpose. It's God's dreams that we're fulfilling. Look at the Bible says about the church. In Ephesians chapter three, God's purpose in all of this was to use the church to display his wisdom and its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. You see, he's using the church to whoop up on the devil. That's his plan. You and I. So get off the bench and get in the game. We need you. This was his eternal plan, the scripture goes on to say, which he carried out through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus clearly said in our opening passage, I, paraphrase, I'm going to build the church and it ain't going to lose. It, it gets persecuted and gets beat around, but guess what? It just gets stronger because Jesus keeps revealing himself to believers, especially the persecuted ones. That's why the church gets stronger in persecution because Jesus reveals even more of himself so that he can give grace and power and courage to the persecuted believers. Don't be afraid of persecution. You just get more of Jesus that way. So your question, once you realize this, the purpose of your life, your question changes from what can the church do for me to what can I do for the church? And I don't mean just the gathering place church. I mean the kingdom of God. Say, Jesus, what can I do to be a part of your plan? fit into your purposes, help your kingdom. I'm telling you from experience and from what the Bible teaches, when you make that paradigm shift, you're going to find deep satisfaction and fulfillment. Because when you're a consumer and not a contributor, it's me, 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 me. And you just, there's never enough. You just have to keep moving on to the next fix and the next fix and the next fix. But Jesus said, I have not come to be served, but to serve. And to give my life a ransom for many. Let that paradigm shift happen in your heart right now. Would you pray with me this morning? And let's ask Jesus to make this message about building 
your life on the rock a reality to you. It's going to take the Holy Spirit. And so let's welcome him right now to do the work only he can do. Would you put your hand over your heart with me this morning and pray this prayer? Say, Jesus, reveal yourself to me. I don't want to be an onlooker. I don't want to say I know you, but I really don't. I'm asking you to open the eyes of my heart so I can truly know you. I'm also asking you, Jesus, open your word to me. Reveal your teachings to me. Help me understand the Bible. And forgive me, Jesus, for every area of my life that I have not built on your word. Forgive me, Jesus, for following the values of this world and not your values. And finally, Jesus, thank you for calling me to be part of your church. Now I'm asking you, what can I do to help you build your kingdom? I want you to stay quiet just for a moment. And I want you to what the Holy Spirit will say regarding that last question. What can I do to help you build? the kingdom of God. Now just listen. Okay, now look at me. Whatever he said right then, whatever thought came into your mind, whatever image or picture came into your mind, do that. It's your assignment. I remember one time, when the Lord was showing me that he is our friend, I realized, oh my gosh, he is such a good friend to us. Have we been a good friend to him? I remember that moment that revelation hit me, I got on my knees and said, Jesus, how can I be your friend? And he said to me, care for the things that I care about. And that's when I started going on missions. He cares about people all over the world that don't know him. Care for the things that I care about. That's how you can be Jesus' friend. All right. Well, God bless you today. I pray that you will do all three of these things because storms are hitting our nation and they're going to continue to hit. And you need to build your life on Jesus, build your life on his word, and build your life on his plan. I'll see you next Sunday.